Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. with that mic in your hand. It's time for school. Rock school. With your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Continuing with 1964, the Beatles arrive in the United States and are greeted by thousands of screaming fans at New York's Kennedy Airport. It's that famous scene of Paul McCartney waving his arm across his face. Love it. And there you go. The Beatles have arrived. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show on the Rock School Radio Network. My name is Joe Burns. You are... Tammy Burns. Just keep in mind that the Rock School Radio Show is brought to you by the CPB, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, at least in part. Well, welcome to 2024, my love. Thank you. This is the year. You have said to me multiple times that this is your year. It is. This is the year where everything will go right. I say that at the beginning of every new year. <laughs> no, no, no. It sounded to me like you meant it. Oh, I do. This year. So that yeah. uh, we're going to we're going to go with that. We're going to absolutely go with that. It's an election year. I am in heaven. Heaven. Yes. Yeah. Would you take Trump off the ballot? No. You wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't take anyone off the ballot. No. Okay. Put Fair 40 enough. people on there. You want Donald Duck on the ballot? Absolutely. I'd write love- him in. I would do Donald Duck. I would write him in by going, <laughs> that's not very good. But the fact still remains Donald Duck for president. Anyway. These are the first two shows of our new year and every year. And by the way, this is the last year we'll do it. We have been doing this for 10 years now. Okay. So if we continue doing this, we're just going to continue to re-up. So next January, we have to come up with some new interesting thing to do because we can't do this anymore. We've already gone 10 years. So this year is 2024. So what we do is we go out of our way to go 10 years back, which is 2014. So we go back again, which is 2004, and bop and we go out of our way to tell you things that happened, which will be an anniversary of this year. So that as you are moving through this year, you may hear somebody say, hey, did you know this? And you go, well, of course I've heard it. I listen to the Rock School radio show. I have been able to go back 200 years. 200 years. Wow. Eight, yeah, I'm just curious. 1824. 200 years ago, May 7th, the first performance of Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 9 at the theater of some giant German word in Vienna. He will die in 1927, and it sounded like this.
Well, it didn't sound like that because you couldn't record that back was excellent. in 1824. Let's go back 125 years. So nothing happened for 75 years. But going back to 1899, 125 years ago, September 18th, Scott Joplin's Maple Leaf Rag is registered for copyright as ragtime music enjoins popularity in the United States. Fair enough. Going back 1924, 100 years ago, February 12th, an experiment in modern music concert is held at the Hall in Manhattan. It's the premiere of Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. Oh, my ago 1924 in april jimmy blythe's recording of chicago stomp comes out it is sometimes called the first complete boogie woogie solo piano recording Finally, in this break, 1934, 90 years ago, the first public performance of the Quintet de Hut Club in France in the École Normale Mystique in Paris playing continental jazz. What do we care? The guitarist was a new hot kid named Django Reinhardt. So this is the first you would hear of Django Reinhardt. And then finally, September through October, folk song collector John Lomax. Look, if you like blues, specifically Delta blues, John Lomax is a name you need to know because what he did was hear about this new kind of blues music that was down in the Delta. And he came down and he had recording equipment with him. And what he did was he found those who were committing this gorgeous blues music and he recorded it. If you're looking for the man who discovered Robert Johnson, it's this fella, John Lomax. And back then, 34, 1934, which is 90 years ago, he recorded Rock Island Line at a prison farm in Arkansas. And you say, well, he recorded it, so the recording must exist. Yeah, it does. Here you go. John Lomax, Rock Island Line on Rock School. I said the Rock Island Line is mighty good Lord. I said the Rock Island Line is the Lord to ride. I said the Rock Island Line is a mighty good Lord. If you want to ride, you got to ride it like you find. Buy your ticket at the station on the Rock Island Line. Well, 
Lord Jesus died to save me in all of my sin. Oh, while it's glory to God, we're gonna meet him again. I said, the rock I'll align is a mighty good road. I said, the rock I'll align is the road to ride. I said, the rock I'll align is a mighty good road. If you want to ride, you've got to ride it like you're fine. Buy your ticket at the station on the rock I'll align. All right, coming out of Lomax's recording, we're in 1944. And from this point on, every 10 years, I have got all the goodies that happened 10 years back, 10 years back, 10 years back. This is 1944, 80 years ago. So in 1944, January 18th, the Metropolitan Opera House in New York, for the first time ever, hosts a jazz concert. They got Louis Armstrong, Benny Goodman, Lionel Hampton, Artie Shaw, and a few other people in there. February 19th. You see, look, it's 1944. It is at the end of World War II. Previous to that, you couldn't buy any records. Now, were there records? Oh, absolutely. But they were sort of one record to many people, which was a jukebox. So what happened now that it's come to an end and people can order records and they themselves can play them, what happened was Billboard, which is really the, I don't know how to say it, the overt commander, if you will, of what was number one or what is number one, they modified their most played jukebox records in order to contain the best-selling retail records and most played jukebox records. Why? Because no longer, if you wanted to hear a record, did you have to go somewhere, right, right. drop a nickel or a dime and a quarter and listen to it. You could actually buy it and bring it home. So on February 19th, that's what Billboard did because now buying music is in the hands of of the actual, you know, general person. November 18th, the AFM, the American Federation of Musicians, strike ends. Columbia, Victoria, and NBC throw in the sponge, as it says, and agree to terms. Now, look, here's the thing. I want you to think about this. During World War II, World War II, the American Federation of Musicians decided to strike because they thought they weren't getting any money. Mm. Are you kidding me? During a world war, you decided on wow. it? So it took until November 11th of 1944 for this strike to end. But here's the thing you got to keep in mind. During the strike, it was musicians they were worried about. When a big band, say Benny Goodman, would go around the country, they had a singer, don't get me wrong, but nobody cared. <laughs> Basically, it was the instrumental tunes that meant something. Boy, are things different today, Oh, huh? are they ever? If wow. You, if you want to blame Justin Bieber on someone, blame it on Hitler. Because what happened was singers who were part of a band, singers like Osei, Bing Crosby, the Andrews Sisters... Frank Sinatra, they weren't part of the strike. They were such window dressing to a big band 
that they weren't part of it. So what was happening is while the instrumentalists couldn't play anything because everybody was on strike, what they did was put together a cappella records. And, you know, people wanted their music. Yeah. So the idea of having a voice became better and better and better and better. And once the strike was over, people didn't care for the big band music anymore. They wanted a singer. Mm -hmm. So this idea of trying to help musicians basically destroyed the idea of the big band being the thing that people wanted. Because for two years, because of the strike, you didn't give it to them. Right. So they had to find something else. Wow. And that was the singer. Now, look... The moment it came to an end, you know the 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 song. It was from Meet Me in St. Louis. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you look at it, and of course, anytime you say first, you have to wink a little bit. But if you look at it, it seems that that was the first recording on Victor Records to come out after the strike. It's just that the strike basically killed the big bands and it turned into vocalists because for two years the vocalists could record anything they wanted and nobody cared. And the bands have been trying to get money ever since, right? That's right because now they don't care about the bands. Right. They care about the singers. December 15th on this date, uh, 1944, Glenn Miller is reported missing. The official explanation is that his plane went down somewhere over the English Channel. There's been multiple theories as to why the plane went down, but the one that most people stick with is that a bomb was dropped and it hit the plane Mm. from above. So, okay, what are we going to play? On October 25th, notoriously bad amateur soprano Florence Foster Jenkins. And you say, no, wait a minute. I've heard that name before. It was part of a British biopic starring Meryl Streep in the title Row. Now, here's the thing. This woman had more money than she knew what to do with, Florence Foster Jenkins. And she wanted to sing. Here's the problem. She stunk. She was awful, but she received the following. So they set up a get-together where she would sing in Carnegie Hall. And you say to yourself, how bad could she be? I happen to have one of the very few recordings of Florence Foster Jennings. And you're going to say, was she really that bad? Yes. Yes, she was that bad. But it was like William Hung singing She Bang, She Bang. Yeah. Nothing's new, man. People loved her because she was bad. Here's Florence Foster Jennings on Rock School.
Okay, we're on the Cocktail Hour show. We talk about 10 years back, 10 years back, 10 years back. And by the way, once again, we can't do this again because we have done 10 years of it. You know what? You'll never remember that next year. You'll oh, go, I, why am I not no, doing no, that no. show? We got to find something new. Oh, boo, gotta, hiss. Got to do something new, man. Got to do something new. Boo, hiss. 1954, 70 years ago to this new year. What's going on? January 14th, the first documented use of the word rock and roll. I think that's three words, but the fact remains rock and roll. It was to promote Alan Freed's rock and roll jubilee held at St. Nicholas Arena in New York City. Previously, the genre was simply called rock and roll. Right. Look at that slang. You may have missed it, my simply saying it, but it was rock apostrophe n n apostrophe roll. So there you go. Uh, March 15th, the chords record shaboom, shaboom, yada da 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 shaboom, shaboom. In April, Fender Stratocaster electric guitar, first produced in California, by the way. Not next week, because we have to finish all the years, but the week after, we have a show dedicated to the Stratocaster guitar. Nice. Why? Because I'm on top of this stuff. <laughs> April 12th, Bill Haley and his comets recorded Rock Around the Clock in New York City for Decca Records. Will it be the first rock and roll record? It'll be the first national rock and roll record because of the movie The Blackboard Jungle. But is it the first rock and roll record? Well, look, there's no such thing as a correct answer. However, I don't think it will be. I think the first rock and roll record was by Arthur Big Boy Crudup. I think it was the song that was covered by Elvis Presley, That's All Right Mama. But that, look, that's just me. May 20th, Rock Around the Clock is released as a B-side of 13 women and is only a moderate success. However, The Blackboard Jungle, which was a movie about a bad high school, picks it up and it becomes what many believe is the first national rock and roll song. Okay, what are we going to play? I got more 1954 to go, but what are we going to play? February 1st, 1954. Johnny Guitar Watson records, quote, space guitar. And you say to yourself, okay, so what? It's a guitar piece. Yeah, but listen to it. It has reverb, it has feedback, it has phase, and it's one of those things where it had never been done before. I've said this before on the show. The vast majority of guitar effects, like distortion and phase and flange and such, they were mistakes. They shouldn't have happened. But then when someone figured out how to do it, the question was, all right, how can we now do it and have control over it. Could you create distortion? Sure, turn the amplifiers up to 11, but that hurts the amplifiers. How can we do that? Uh, Can we do reverb? Sure, put them in a gargantuan place like a giant room. But you see, that creates a lot of echo and such. How can we do it without doing that? Can we create phase and flange? Sure. Take two microphones, put them 20 feet away from each other, and record them. 
but you can't then play with it. Now what we have are all these effects with the ability to, what's the word I'm looking for, affect them. You can turn them up, turn them down, what have you. And so what Johnny Guitar Watson did was basically say, okay, here's everything we can do Wow! in one fell swoop. Johnny Guitar Watson, Space Guitar, here on Rock School. <laughs> First break, let's continue with 1954, July 5, Elvis Presley has his first commercial recording at Sun Studios, Memphis, Tennessee. He records the song I mentioned earlier, That's Alright Mama, and Blue Moon of Kentucky, which by the way he recorded for his mother earlier on because what Sun Studios did was allow any schmo off the street to come in, 20 bucks, record a song, Here's your record. Go away. Nice. Except Elvis came in, recorded, and everyone went, wow, that Wait, guy's not bad. Do that again? The performers were Scotty, Bill, and Elvis. The song was originally recorded by Arthur Big Boy Crudup, 1946, and also Bill Monroe and his Bluegrass Boys, 1947, respectively. October 16th, Elvis Presley makes his first radio broadcast, Shreveport, Louisiana, on the Louisiana Hayride. By the way, we're in the year 1954. In the fall of 1954, I don't have a specific date, a cover version of Big Joe Turner's Shake, Rattle, and Roll by Bill Haley and his Comets becomes the first. Look, when you say something is first, you gotta wink. You gotta say, I think think this is the first one, but first internationally popular rock and roll recording, which means it went across the pond and people in the UK went, hey, that's pretty good. And it's 54. Look, we won't see the Beatles for another nine years. 1954 was a very important year. For rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's when, look, rock and roll started in the late 40s, mm-hmm. I believe at least. Right. But it wasn't until 1954 that the companies decided, hey, you know, if we put this on a 45, people might buy it. Because there's always some weird derivation of something else. I'm sure there's one today that we don't know about. I hope so. And only a matter of time before somebody says, hey, Let's record that. Yeah. And once it's recorded, there you go. Continuing on, record companies in 1954 began to deliver 7-inch 45 RPM singles to radio instead of 78s. The thing about the 45, it wasn't that you're giving it to radio stations. A 45 was about 50 cents. But... 
For $12, the average kid could buy a 45 player. Now, it wasn't great and the fidelity wasn't stunning, but it wasn't his parents' music. Right. So he or she, for 12 bucks, and I'm sure that took a lot in 1954 oh my gosh. to get it. Yes. But then he or she could play any music they wanted. So they say they, I don't know who they are, historians, they say that it was rock and roll that made the first disconnect. Now, no longer were young people listening to the music of their parents. There was a split. And there you go. It was the technology of the time. And you know what it was in? What's that? It looked like a suitcase. It did. You could you could act. It was portable. You could take it to your friend's house. I'm going to guess you had that little suitcase. Absolutely. Absolutely. Les Paul commissioned Ampex to build the first eight-track recording recorder. Did I say that right? Eight-track recording recorder. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Carry on. He did it at his own expense, and he decided to show the world that, hey, look, we can do multiple tracks. Wow. Les Paul, I'm telling wow. you what, did a lot more than you think. Oh. The Drifters began performing. The Isley Brothers began recording. And the Newport Jazz Festival was established by George Wynn. All of those things happened in 1954. Okay, we got to take a break here on Rock School. Coming out of the break, 1964. This is 60 years ago to this brand new date, 2024. Woo! So 60 years back, I'm about to turn 60. It is unreal. I was born in 1964. So everything previous to, you know, September is not. But everything past that happened while I was alive. And I had something to do with it. Weren't you born April 1st? Yeah. Which means you're six months older than I am. I'm going to be 60 long before you. Wow. I, mar- I will. Wow. I, I married an older woman. Aww. Oh, the things wah, she wah, knows. Wah. January 1st, the first episode of You've Heard of the Top of the Pops? Mm-hmm. Had to come from somewhere. Here yeah. you go. BBC TV. If you're interested, the first two acts to play were Dusty Springfield saying, I only want to be with you. And the Rolling Stones. Wouldn't you think it would be the Beatles? But it is not. The Rolling Stones saying, I want to be your man. I expected it would be, you know, the Beatles. January 10th, introducing... The Beatles, the first album by The Beatles, is released in the United States, comes out on Chicago's VJ Records. VJ Records means something. Stick that in your brain. It means something. VJ Records has got the people who put together uh, American Bandstand. Mm -hmm. Dick Clark was involved in it. Now, look, there's a giant payola scheme thing that happened in 1959, so Dick Clark had to give it up. But the fact remains that Dick Clark had a shot at releasing and distributing the Beatles in the United States and failed at it. Yeah. And Dick Clark has said on record, if I had known 
who the Beatles would be, I'd have gone out and taken out a loan and I'd have bought every single myself. But he did oh, not. Wow. January 13th, Bob Dylan's The Times They Are Changing is released on Columbia Records. And here it comes, January 15th, VJ Records files a lawsuit against Capitol Records and Swan Records over manufacturing the Beatles. Look, you had a contract, VJ. You were supposed to sell a hundred Beatles or hundred thousand Beatles 45s. You didn't do it. So what happened was Brian Epstein took the contract and handed it over to people who could. Go ahead, sue them. You didn't fulfill the contract, not them. January 18th, the Beatles appear on Billboard magazine's charts for the first time in the U.S. Okay, what are we going to play? You're going to dig this. When did the Beatles appear on American television? It was obviously February, and it was obviously the the show that everybody wanted to see, right? Ed, Ed Sullivan. Sullivan. Right. Right. Wrong. What? The first time the Beatles were shown on television was the Jack Parr oh. show January 3rd. They performed a concert in England. It was recorded, and it was sent over to Jack Parr. And he said, hey, man... <laughs> Here's this new band called the Beatles. What do you think? So I get it. They were live in the studio for Ed Sullivan, but there was a recording that was played on Jack Parr. So answer me this question, mm -hmm. you audiophiles. Which is the first one? Oh, Jack Parr. Huh? That's what I think. Here you go. The Beatles on Jack Parr on Rock School. You know, everyone talks about the Beatles, but no one does anything about them. <laughs> The Beatles are an extraordinary act in England. I think they're the biggest thing in England in 25 years. And actually, the music is rock and roll. Now, we've never, in my seven years at NBC, ever on The Tonight Show or on this show, ever had a rock and roll act. But I'm interested in the Beatles as a psychological, uh, uh, sociological phenomenon. And uh, I want to show them to you tonight. They're from the toughest part of England. It's uh, Merseyside on, near Liverpool in the dock area. And, and it's a very tough area where these four nice kids come from. Now here are... Sullivan's going to have the Beatles on live uh, in February, and we only, our interest was just showing a more adult audience that usually follows my work, uh, what's going on in England. 
Continuing with 1964, the Beatles arrive in the United States and are greeted by thousands of screaming fans at New York's Kennedy Airport. It's that famous scene of Paul McCartney waving his arm across his face. Love it. And there you go. The Beatles have arrived. February 9th, the Beatles perform on The Ed Sullivan Show, breaks every television ratings record at the time. You know that. March 1st, Capitol Records is bombarded with requests for heavyweight boxing champion Cassius Clay. Remember, he won the title when he was Cassius Clay. Right. He will later change his name to Muhammad Ali. He had an album called I Am The Greatest. It was put out after he defeated Sonny Liston. Here's about 20 seconds of I Am The Greatest. By Cassius Clay. This is the legend of Cassius Clay, the most beautiful fighter in the world today. He talks a great deal and brags indeedy of a muscular punch that's incredibly speedy. The fistic world was dull and weary. With a champ like Liston, things had to be dreary. Then someone with color, someone with dash, brought fight fans a-running with cash. <laughs> this brash young boxer is something to see, and the heavyweight championship is his destiny. This kid fights great. He's got speed and endurance. But if you sign to fight him, increase your insurance. There you go. Not terrible. Classic. Not terrible. Continuing on, 1964, Elvis Presley's fourth. 14th motion picture. 14? Yes. Really? Couldn't get enough of the dude. Get out and tour. Yeah. Mm, Called shush. Kissing Cousins, released the Oh, I love that one. March 14th, Billboard magazine reports that the sales of Beatles records make up 60% of the market. Of every 10 records recorded or purchased? Yeah. Crazy, huh? Six of them were the Beatles. That's ridiculous. Woo. I love when people go, hey, they're the new Beatles. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. Nope. No, they're not. March 16th, disc jockey Alan Freed is charged with tax evasion in the U.S. That stems from the uh, payola hearings. And the thing is, so many jocks came into the payola hearings and they said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Here, I'll pay a fine. And and he, Alan Freed, didn't do that because legally, Alan Freed didn't do anything wrong. Right. But they destroyed him. March 28th, wax likenesses of the Beatles are put on display at London's Madame Tussauds Wax Museum. They are the first pop stars to be displayed at the museum. Okay, so what are we going to play? Because we got to go into a break here fairly soon. Let's go back to February 1st. Indiana Governor Matthew Welsh declares the 1963 recording of Lua Lua. Oh, baby. So we got to go now. Do it with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Anyway. He said the Kingsman song was pornographic. Oh, yeah. Ain't it always. Mm -hmm. He requests that Indiana Broadcasters Association ban the record. There's a whole bunch of stuff. He says that the song makes little girls' ears tingle. Oh! 
I would love to write something that made little girls' ears tingle. For real. The FBI got involved, and when it was all said and done, wow. instead of just calling the Kingsmen and saying, hey, fellas, what does this song say? What are the words? They didn't. They went into a room, and they were all, I don't know, drunk or horny, and they came up with dirty lyrics. I'm telling you. It you was wanna, witchcraft. You want to have a good 10, 15 minutes? Go look up. What the FBI thought Louie Louie said. And it's it, it's well worth your time. Here's the original. There are no curse words, I swear. Louie Louie on Rock School. Okay, we got to take a break here on Rock School. Okay, coming out of the break, let's stay with 1964. It's going to be one of those years. 74 is going to be the same way. There's just so much going on in classic rock that we're we're going to live here for a while. In April of 64, drummer Keith Moon joins The Who. April 4th, The Beatles occupy the top five positions on the Hot 100. You probably don't remember this, but a couple of years ago, Ariana Grande... Oh, yeah. She held the top three. I do. And people were like, she's as, as good as the Beatles. No, no she's she not. No, she, she had ain't. three. They had five. Right. When you get six, you let us know. Whoa. April 11th, the Beatles held 14. One, four. Positions on the Billboard Hot 100. By the way, the highest number of concurrent singles previous to that was Elvis Presley with nine. That's ridiculous in and of itself. 14 seems near to impossible. April 16th, the Rolling Stones released their epitomous debut album. Is that a word? It means it's... it's I can't think of anything funny. It means it's <laughs> named after them. Yeah, Epitomous. Yeah. June, during a performance at the railway, Pete Townsend of The Who throws his guitar in the air and the head hits the ceiling and it breaks. And the crowd goes, Do it again. And he does. Is that the beginning of, of it Pete is. Townsend breaking his guitars? Yep. Maybe it is. June 5th, the Rolling Stones start a tour in the U.S. Now, July 3rd, I'm going to play a little bit of this one. With their new manager, Pete Maiden, The Who released their first single, Zoot Suit, under the name of The High Numbers, in an attempt to appeal to the mods, the mod audience. Would you like to hear a little bit yeah. of Zoot Suit? This is the first single from The Who. They weren't called The Who. They were called the, you know, the high numbers. But this is what it sounded like. I'm the hippiest number in town, and I tell you why. I tell you why. I'm the snappiest dresser 
Don't get me wrong, it's not a terrible song. Do I like that? But it only reached the top 50, so they got rid of their manager, and they reverted to calling themselves The Who. There you go. July 6th, The Beatles' first film, Hard Day Night, is released, which personally... I think it's their best. You may disagree. I think it's their best. First one out of the gate. August 4th, the Kinks release, You Really Got Me. And the world stopped and went, how'd they get that distorted sound? That was it, huh? What they did is they got it by tearing, using a knife and pencils, Mm -hmm. the cone on the speaker. So if you want that same distorted sound... You have to destroy your amplifier. Ooh. That's because they were rich, apparently. August 19th, the Beatles start their second visit to and first nationwide tour of the United States at the Cow Palace. August 22nd, 1964, the Supremes go to number one with Where Did I Love Go? Do you remember a television show that played music called Shindig. I do. Was on ABC. Yep, it premiered yep, yep. 1964, September 16th. Uh, September 22nd, Fiddler on the Roof opens on Broadway. By the way, I put that one in because every time you and I talk about retiring, yeah. you sing, If I was a rich man. In October, Dr. Robert. Moog. I know it's M-O-O-G, but it's pronounced Moog. He demonstrated what a synthesizer could do. And then August 19th, Simon and Garfunkel received their debut album Wednesday morning, 3 a.m., and it fails miserably. You would think they were a hit out of the gate. No, it took to their second album, Sounds of Silence, and then the first album came back and got into the top 40. 1964, October 24th, the Rolling Stones start their second U.S. tour. That was a short tour. October 29th, the Tammy Show is filmed. December 19, the Supremes reach number one in the Hot 100 for the third of five successive number ones with Come See About Me. And also that year, Cher and Sonny began performing together as Caesar and Cleo. <laughs> Okay, that was a lot. I mean, that was a lot. It's a lot. Got to play something. October 25th, the Rolling Stones perform on the Ed Sullivan Show for the first time. And it sounded like this on Rockstar. Because of all of you, we're going to have them in. They're going to have them in both halves of the show. So here's the first appearance of the Rolling Stones. The joy was rocking, going round and round. Yeah, reeling and rocking, what a crazy sound. Nineteen 
1974, 50 years ago to this brand new year, 2024, February, New York's Rock Club, The Bottom Line, opened up in Greenwich Village. The first headlining act, Dr. John. February 14th, the captain and Tennille are married in Virginia City, Nevada. Mazel tov. February 18th, yes, Sells out the first two nights at Madison Square Garden without any advertising for the show. And furthermore, while they were having grand success, the band Kiss released their self-titled debut album. It would do okay. Wow. You know? See, today you got to have a hit out of the gate. Right. Back then people would go, okay, not bad. Let's try another one or two, mm-hmm. see what happens. Uh, February 19th, first American Music Awards broadcast on ABC. Two weeks before the Grammys, Helen Reddy and Jim Croce are among the big winners. February 20th, share files for divorce no. from Sonny Bono. Don't do it. Remember 10 years ago? Yeah. They were They Cleo were so happy. They somebody? were so happy. It's crazy, kids. Ugh. And the last one, we're probably going to go out on this one. March 1st, 1974, Rush releases their self-titled debut album, which becomes a hit because of Cleveland. WMMS in Cleveland decided to take... It really wasn't even the radio station. It was a woman I know and had worked with in radio, Donna Halper. If you want to hear an entire interview with Donna Halper, go to the Rock School website, which is southeastern.edu slash rockschool, all one word, and simply look up Donna Halper, H-A-L-P-E-R. She was the music director at the time at WMMS, which is a Cleveland radio station, really the tip-top radio station in town. And she decided to play Working Man, and it, it it hit. I don't know how else to say it. If you look at Donna Helper's, or look at Rush's first album, look at the back, look at the credits. It says, thank you, Donna Helper. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to find some connection to myself. I worked with Donna Helper. She was a consultant at one of the radio stations. Believe me, you know, I call her Donna Helper. She calls me, who are you? Who are you again? <laughs> Do I know you? You know, she's famous. I'm not, but... And Rush, Rush is very famous. Oh, my goodness, yes. So let's play a Rush song, and I think that's going to wrap up the show if I do the mathematicals correctly. We will continue with 1974 next week here on the Rock School Radio Show. I'm Joe Burns. You I'm are? I'm Tammy Burns. That's it. Here's Rush. Class is dismissed. <laughs>